page 1157, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who called, are called, uh, call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in his one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross." by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. Let's pray. God, we confess that you alone are God, and we have a great need of you. Lord, we recognize that our lives are uh, but a passing shadow that our lives are weighed down with many difficulties and worries and concerns. And so we come to you this morning, God, recognizing that you alone have what we need, not only for salvation, but for life and everything. God, we recognize that you alone are the source of our strength, that you are our joy, that you are the one who lifts up our head. And so, God, as we come to your word this morning, we don't want to just sit through a sermon or hear uh, uh, music or be in a church service. We desire to hear directly from the living God. And we know that you speak through your word. And so, God, we come this morning expectantly, eagerly, looking forward uh, to hear what you're going to say to us. And so, Lord, we open up our hearts to you this morning. We, we submit ourselves to you and we say, God, whatever it is you need to show us this morning in ourselves, we're willing to see it and to hear it by your grace. Lord, open us up to your spirit and to your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, it's so easy to take things in life for granted. Um, for Our health, for instance, take it for granted so easily. Uh, I've been lucky this winter, or blessed, I should say. I, I haven't been sick this winter, but typically I, I have the flu or I get bronchitis once or twice in the winter. And it always happens. I'll start to get bronchitis, and I'll be like, oh, no, I, I think this is just a cough, and then it'll eventually become bronchitis, and I'll just get that heavy, weighed-down feeling and can't breathe. And I'll go to the doctors, get the antibiotics, and then eventually the antibiotics start kicking in. And then it happens. The first morning will come when I'm finally feeling my strength. And, you know, you get up in the morning, you're like, oh, oh, I'm feeling healthy again. And you finally feel that old strength returning. And you realize 
it is so great to feel healthy. And I took it for granted all the time. And now, oh, it feels so wonderful to be able to breathe again. And, and, and I think, wow, I'm going to remember how good it is to be healthy. And then a month later, you forget. And you just take it for granted. You take health for granted and you're doing your thing. And, and that's just how it is. Or maybe you've been out of work. You know that whole scenario. You're out of work and you're looking for a job and you're networking and you're starting to freak out and you're um, praying a lot and you're, you're asking your friends about work and then you wrestle with all those self-confidence issues. You know, am I not cut out for this? Am I ever going to find a job? And then finally, the job comes through. Like, oh, thank you, God, for this job. And you love your job and you're thanking God for it. And then about three months later, you're griping about it. I mean, it's just the way it happens. And, and we so quickly take things in life for granted. And I was thinking the same is so true of our spiritual lives, our salvation in Christ. It's so easy to take salvation for granted and to forget what a great salvation we have in Christ. Uh, when you first become a Christian, oh, it's so awesome. You realize that God has saved you from so many things. You see these dramatic transformations in your life. And you want to know so much about Christ, you're going to Bible studies and, and you're, you know, the Bible suddenly comes alive, whereas before it was just a boring book because the Holy Spirit lives in you and now it's like alive. And you go to church and now church is not just something you have to do, but there's, you know, there's life there and you're connecting because for the first time in your life, you're not just physically in the church, you're spiritually connected to the church because you're a Christian. And, and the whole of Christianity just opens up to you. And it's great. And that's why it's fun to be around new Christians because they still have that zest. But then when you've been a Christian for five years or 10 years or 30 years or 40 years, it's just so easy to take salvation for granted. And we no longer feel the flames of hell from which we've escaped. And we no longer smell the fresh wind of heaven. It's kind of like we've experienced a spiritual a sensory adaptation. And we no longer can, you know, just see how great salvation is. And, and that song, Amazing Grace, when we sing it, it used to come from the heart. And now, you know, we just like to sing it because, well, it's one of our favorite hymns. But it doesn't have that, that connection. Wow, I've been saved by grace from a terrible destruction. God has really saved me. And so our salvation is something that becomes old hat. And, and maybe you're active in a church now and you serve with the toddlers and on this committee and you're in this Bible study. And all that stuff is good. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, we should be doing those things. But because that, that spark with God has kind of grown dim, the activities in church can replace the vibrant personal relationship with God that should fuel the activity, if you know what I'm saying. And so we need to be reminded of our great salvation. And that's why we have Ephesians chapters 1 through 3 which were written for one purpose, to remind us of our spiritual blessings in Christ so that we will praise God and not take it for granted. And so just to do a quick recap, if you're new with us, we're in the middle of Ephesians, uh, studying through this book. You'll just a recap of where we've been. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. We looked at our spiritual blessings in Christ. And you remember going through them one by one? And then we went to Ephesians 15 to, chapter 1, 15 to 23, where Paul prays that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened so that we might better understand the salvation we have. And then last week we finished chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, where Paul contrasted where we used to be before Christ in deadness and sin and who we are in Christ now, spiritually alive. 
Well, today we come to a new section, which is verses 11 to 22. And Paul is going to take yet another crack at reminding us of the greatness of our salvation so that we don't take it for granted. And here he's using the contrast between who we were before Christ, excluded Gentiles, and now who we are in Christ, part of the people of God. And so that's why he starts in verse 11 of chapter 2. Therefore, remember... Remember, wake up. Remember? Remember this, guys? He's going to call this to mind. Remember who you were, used to be. That formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and, uncir- and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision of that done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. Who were the readers of this letter before Christ? They were excluded Gentiles. They were separate from Christ. But most of the readers of Paul's letter here were Gentiles. He's writing to people in Asia Minor. So there may have been a few Jews in the congregation, but mostly it was Gentiles. And I was thinking that's probably the case for most of us. I'm assuming that pretty much everyone here is from a Gentile background. And there may be a few of you here who have some Jewish roots, a little Jewish heritage, but... I'd suspect most of us are Gentiles. I certainly am. I'm, I'm a sort of a Heinz 57 mutt from uh, uh, Northern Europe, is where all my ancestors come from. <clears throat> so, you know, I, I don't, I, I'm as Gentile as Gentile can be. And, and probably most of you, if you trace your blood lineage back, you're, you find that you came from Gentile roots too. And so this text is right at us. This is writing to Gentiles, to people who are outside of the covenant of Israel, That's who their ancestors are. And Paul is writing to them. He's saying, this is who you were before Christ, excluded Gentiles. Because remember how God worked. Uh, About three millennia ago, God spoke to a man named Abraham. Abraham was an idol worshiper. He came from idol worshiping background. And God spoke to him there in uh, Mesopotamia. And he said, Abraham, I want you to go to Canaan. I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to make your name great and make you a blessing to the whole earth. And so Abraham became uh, the man of promise. And then Abraham had a son named Isaac, and God reiterated the promise to Isaac. And then Isaac had a son named Jacob, and God reiterated the promise to Jacob. And then Jacob had 12 sons. You know the story. And Jacob's name was changed to what? Israel. So he became Israel. And out of him came the 12 tribes of Israel. And they multiplied and became a great nation, just as God had promised Abraham. And then they were enslaved in Egypt, uh, uh, imprisoned by uh, the pharaohs and, and forced into labor until Moses came and he led the Israelites out of Egypt, took them to Mount Sinai, and there he came down with the Ten Commandments. You know, the movie with Charlton Heston. He comes down and he's got the, the law with him. And, uh, and that is at, at that moment... God makes a covenant with Israel. A covenant. He enters into a special covenant relationship with one nation out of all the peoples on the whole earth. All the other nations are lost, and he reaches out to this one chosen people. Why? Because they were so great? No. (laughs) He's just a great God. And in his kindness, he's keeping his promise that he made to Abraham. And he says, this nation, Israel, will be my covenant people. And so now the God of the universe is to be found in Israel. If you want to find God, you go to Israel. 
If, if you want to find out uh, the maker of heaven and earth, you go to Israel. And so that's where God was. In fact, one of the things that he told Moses to do on Mount Sinai was to make this elaborate tabernacle. You know, why did he do that? Because he's going to dwell right in the middle of his people. God's presence would be right there. So Israel was established. They became the people of God. And then outside of Israel were what? The nations, the goyim, the Gentiles, my ancestors, your ancestors. And everywhere else was darkness. And if you wanted to come to find the light, you had to come to Israel. And so there was this geographical separation that symbolized a spiritual separation. That, that just as the Gentiles were geographically far away from Israel, so they were spiritually far away from God. And in fact, uh, that's one of the ways that the nations are talked about in the Old Testament. They're the far-off ones. Well, one of the names for the Gentiles in the Old Testament is the islands. You'll find this in the prophets. Out, you know, like way out there, the islands. They're just phew, out in the boonies. And that's who our ancestors were. So think about it. Uh, maybe if you come from Gentile roots, at the time when, when Israel was founded, where were your ancestors? Are some of you here Italian? Huh? Your ancestors were, uh, you know, pagan idol worshipers in, in the Mediterranean world. Or maybe you're like me, you come from more northern, northern European descent, and so uh, you come from Germanic roots. I'm, like I said, I'm Heinz 57, so I have some Nordic, you know, guys who worshipped the Norse gods, and I have Germanic barbarians in my background, have some English blood in me. Some of you are Irish, I suspect, in this area. Uh, you know, who were your ancestors? Druids? <laughs> Nature-worshipping Celts? Come on. Some of you uh, made from African background, huh? you know, out in worshiping the spirits, out in the, the wilderness, separated from God. Some of you are from the Pacific Rim, maybe from uh, maybe Chinese descent, or I know we have many Cambodians here. You know, where were, we at, where were you at that time? Your ancestors were lost. Maybe some of you have Native American blood, worshiping the spirits and worshiping nature. There was, it was a global darkness that had blanketed the whole earth. And in the midst of this global darkness, there was one candle burning in Israel. One candle. The altar before the temple of Yahweh, the God of Israel. One candle burning in the midst of a global darkness. That's where we were. And so Paul describes it in verse 12. Remember that at that time, you were separate from Christ. We were separate from the Messiah. Now, are we saying that Israel had the Messiah? Wait a minute, didn't Jesus come later? And when he did come, didn't the Jews reject him? So what are we saying here about Israel? Well, I think what it's saying is that Israel had the Messiah in the sense that they had all the prophecies about the Messiah. And they had the Davidic lineage, and they had all the institutions and sacrifices that were summarized in the Messiah. So everything in Israel's history and in their institutions pointed to the coming of Christ. But we didn't have that. I mean, if you would have talked about the Messiah to my ancestors up in Germany, you know, they would have just, I don't know, killed you and ate you or something. They wouldn't know what you're talking about. Uh, but the Jews, Messiah, oh yeah, anointed one. We know what that means. And so they had the promise of the Messiah. Or um, look at this next one. Excluded from citizenship in Israel. We weren't citizens of that nation. We were, we were separated. Uh, think about the time of Christ how separate the Jews were from the Gentiles. Look at verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth, 
and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. You see, in the time of Christ, in the time of Paul, there was a great cultural separation between Jews and Gentiles. And and the biggest cultural separation was this practice of circumcision. Because the Greeks and the Romans did not circumcise. They thought it was barbaric, grisly. They didn't understand it. And the Jews, of course, it was a sign of their covenant identity. And so the sign of circumcision became increasingly the symbol of Jewishness. So that Jews could talk about themselves as the circumcision, and they could say with reproach and disdain, the uncircumcised. And so this, this cultural symbol, along with Sabbath-keeping and the kosher laws, separated Jews from, and Gentiles. So there was this great cultural divide. You knew who the Jews were, you knew who the Gentiles were, and there was a, a big gulf between them. Now, there were some Gentiles who became Jews at the time of Christ. They were called proselytes. Uh, but to become a full Jew, you had to be circumcised. So as you can guess, a lot of people came right up to that line and then didn't cross it. And they were called the God-fearers. And then there were the full proselytes who came over to Judaism. But by and large, there was this great cultural divide. And then uh, moving on here in verse 12. Foreigners to the covenants of the promise. Without hope. Without God. In the great global darkness that covered all nations, all peoples, all tribes... Africans, Europeans, Asians, North Americans, South American Indians. Think of, think of the whole world and all the tribes. And it all was under the darkness of sin, except for one candle burning in Israel. This great separation is just almost palpable. And so if you were a Gentile, and you were in the time of Christ, and you decided to go on a little family vacation to Israel, and you got in your chariot with your family and rode down to Israel, and if you're in Israel, well, you've got to see Jerusalem because, hey, that's the temple, and the temple is the thing to see. So you go to the temple, you would have walked into the, the great courtyard of the Gentiles. Just imagine this huge walled courtyard and, and all kinds of people selling, I don't know, T-shirts and keychains and, you know, this, this sort of, uh, this area here, and, and everyone's milling around from all different nations, and they're there visiting. And then you look over and you see the temple. You go, oh, there's the temple. Let's go see the temple. And, and you start walking toward the temple. And as you walk toward it, you realize there's a wall between you and the temple and a gate. And you come to the gate, and over the gate is a big sign that says, Gentiles may not pass this point on penalty of death. And so there you would have stood in the court. They called it the court of the Gentiles, standing at this big gate that you cannot pass with the temple of the living God on the other side, and you can't go any further because you are separated from God because you're a Gentile. That is who we were, excluded Gentiles. And, you know, I, I sort of have to remind myself of that because today the church is so much more Gentile than Jewish, we kind of take it for granted. But remember, the church came out of Jewish roots. And so we have to remember, you know, let's go back to the time when this letter was written. And now, given that context... Look at verse 13. Oh, this verse is so amazing. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. That's such an amazing verse. Someone needs to go up on the bell tower with a bullhorn and just announce that. Just shout it out to Hingham. Now you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Something amazing, unprecedented, unparalleled, unheard of 
has happened with the coming of Christ. Actually, it was prophesied in the Old Testament, but people kind of forgot about it, that God has now reached out to the Gentiles, that Christ has reached out and gathered in those who are far off. That in the old times, God worked through one nation, Israel. But now the people of God have gone international. And in those times, God worked through one particular culture. But now he's working through every tribe and tongue and language and nation. That at that time, God's love was upon one people, Israel. But now, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him, Jew, Gentile, male, female, African, European, Asian, North American, South American, Jew, whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. It's just amazing. The doors of salvation have just been thrown open to the whole world. And so you can see this is such a dramatic paradigm shift from the Old Testament. As I said, it's prophesied in the Old Testament, but people forgot about it. And then it comes to fruition, and it's just amazing. Now, how does this happen? We see it there in verse 13. How did this great shift take place? But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near, how? Through the blood of Christ. In other words, through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Whenever you see talk about the blood of Christ, it's, it's a way of saying his sacrifice on the cross for us. And which makes sense, doesn't it? Because what, what is it that separated us from God in the first place? Sin. And that's why the Gentiles are separated from God, not because God didn't like some of their customs. It's because they, the whole world is under sin. And sin separates us from God. Sin separates families. Sin breaks up friendships. Sin separates nation from nation and causes them to go to war. Sin breaks up businesses and business partners. And ultimately, sin separates us from our relationship with God. And so the Gentiles were separated from God because of sin. You know, the Jews were separated from God because of sin. I think this is important to remember. Because uh, even the Jews had to be reconciled by the blood of Christ. I don't want to jump ahead too far, but just to look at next week's text. Look at verse 15. About halfway through that verse. His purpose, Christ's purpose in dying on the cross, was to create in himself one new man out of the two, out of Jews and Gentiles, thus making peace. And in his one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. Do you hear that? To reconcile both of them. In other words, both Jews and Gentiles needed to be reconciled to God. Even though they were the close people, they still, you know, they failed. Look at the Old Testament. Read the story of Israel. This is not a success story. This is an abysmal failure. Because the reality is, Israel is no different than the nations, except that God was merciful to them. But they were just like them. And Israel continued in idolatrous ways. And so both Jews and Gentiles needed to be brought near through the blood of Christ. As it says in verse 17, He came and preached peace to you who are far away, you Gentiles, and peace to those who are near. The Jews. Because Jew and Gentile alike are under sin. Of course, there's advantages in being Jews. Hey, you got the law, the commandments, and the prophecies. But you need Christ to be saved. And so Christ came to do this amazing work to bring sinners back to God. And about this before, but the cross was the sacrifice. In the Old Testament, you had all these sacrifices of animals for sin. Christ is the final, uh, perfect sin offering. On the cross, Jesus made a great exchange. He took our sin upon himself 
And then he took his righteousness and gave it to us so that we could stand before God and we could enter into God's presence. So now in Jesus Christ, the doors to God's presence are thrown wide open. Now in Jesus Christ, the the wall that separates us from God's presence and God's temple has been demolished. It's crumbled. Now, because of the coming of Christ and his sacrifice on the cross, that, that veil that separated the Holy of Holies from people has been ripped in two. Now, through the coming of Christ, the great chasm that separates earth and heaven has been bridged through Christ. Jesus Christ stretched out his arms on the cross so that he might reach out and gather to himself everyone who is. Especially me. And Christ has brought us near. I was talking to a, uh, a friend of mine, another friend of mine from the gym, um, really the only place I make friends. Um, and <laughs> and uh, he, I, I've invited him to church several times. Not a Christian, does not claim to be a Christian, does not lead a lifestyle that's godly. Uh, and, and so I, you know, I was talking to him, invited him to church again. He said, look, I need to talk to you sort of had a candid moment. He said, I don't like going to church because I don't want to sit in the pews and have all the people around me be judging me and thinking of what a, a terrible person I am. Which is kind of interesting because, like, how would anyone know? You know? But it's just people have that mindset. And it's that, that deep sense of sin that even in our sinful state, we still have a, a little smidgen of conscience and we can still feel it. And we say, I don't want to go into church. Or maybe I've heard people say, well, I'm not going to go into church because you know, the roof's going to collapse in on me. Maybe you've heard that old line. And people are, are, are hesitant to draw close to God. And they think, well, maybe I better get my act together first. Then once I get all straightened out, then I'll come to church. No, 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 no. You don't understand Christianity. Christ didn't come for the healthy. He came for the sick. He came to find those who are far off. Because the message of Christ isn't, you know, when you get your life together, maybe you might have a chance at God. The message of Christ is, we are sinners, but Christ has died to reconcile us to himself. So no matter what it is that you have that's your sort of secret, God knows it, and Christ died for it. Whether it's a divorce you went through, and maybe you were mostly at fault, and you know it, or maybe it was some failure at parenting, that haunts you and you can never get those years back and you think, ah, I've lost it, I'm done. Or maybe it's some resource God has given you, some gift, some money, some talent, and you've squandered it. Or who knows what it is? There's a million things. Maybe it's just an attitude of pride. I, I don't know. Whatever it is that separates us from God, the good news is however far we've gone from God, Jesus' arms stretch out further and they gather us back in through the blood of Christ. There is nothing that you have done, thought, said, or been that Christ cannot forgive and forgive and bring you back into the presence of God. I think that goes for us as Christians too. This isn't just a message for those outside of Christ because remember, Paul is speaking to Christians in this letter. Even we as Christians can drift away Like we talked about, we can take our salvation for granted, especially after you've been a Christian 20, 30 years. It's easy just to become sort of routine. And instead of your faith being a vibrant walk with God, it just becomes kind of routine and something you take for granted. And 
you know all the Sunday school questions and you know all the Sunday school answers and you know, I'm sort of set. No, 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 no. God wants to, to be close with you. God desires an intimate communion with you. He wants you to know his love for you and to have you respond in love back. That's what Christianity was meant to be, a vibrant love relationship with your creator through Christ. And if that's not what your Christian walk is, and if you drifted away, the way back is the same, through the blood of Christ. To come back to Christ, to confess your sin, and to be embraced by the Father who is waiting for you to come back and eager for you to come back. Through him, those who are far away, Jews, Gentiles, non-Christians, wayward Christians, whoever, can be brought near through the blood of Christ. You know, this um, text reminded me of a parable that Jesus told in Luke chapter 14. I'll just read this parable. Jesus said, a certain man was preparing a great banquet, and he invited many guests. I will contemporize it. A certain man was having a big Super Bowl party, and he was inviting many guests. (laughs) And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Got the chicken wings, got the pizza, huge spread. Come. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. So this, of course, uh, in the original context, represents the Jews rejecting Christ. As, as Christ preached among the Jews, by and large, the response was no. But of course, it also applies to us. Because Christ comes to us. He's saying, come back. Be reconciled to me. And, and we say, ah, yeah, I got this going on, that going on. I got to work this out in my life first. I'm busy, just got married, whatever. I'll, I'll get around to it. And so, verse 21, the servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and he ordered the servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Isn't that who came to Christ? Because sometimes when you got life together and, and you have things, you don't sense your need for Christ. But when you're crippled and blind and lame, you recognize you need Christ. And your physical need will sometimes translate to an awareness of your spiritual need. And so they came. Sir, the servant said, what you've ordered has been done, but there's still room. The master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes, or as they used to say, the highways and the byways, right? Just go out in the boonies. I want you to just go out and turn over rocks out there in the sticks. Just go everywhere you can go and find some people to come to my banquet so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited to the banquet will get a taste of my banquet. And so the gospel has gone out to the highways and the byways. It went out to Judea and to Samaria and then to the Mediterranean world, and to Rome, and it continued to spread. And believe it or not, that invitation of God has even made its way, of all places, to Hingham. It actually got here. It, you know, of all the bywaters and back roads, it came to Hingham, and it came to Main Street, and it came to us. And it's here right now, inviting anyone who will come to Christ So let's not make excuses. I'm saying this to myself. Stop making excuses 
and come to Christ and be reconciled to him. Let's pray. Would you just like to come to Christ this morning? Would you like to receive that invitation? No matter who you are, where you've been, there is forgiveness and reconciliation in Christ. And if so, I invite you to pray this simple prayer. I'll pray it, then you just make it your own. God, I confess that I am a sinner. And God, I confess that I am lost. But I believe that the blood of Christ was shed to forgive sinners like me. Oh Jesus, I accept your invitation and I receive you as my Savior. And now, oh God, by your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would communicate to every one of us, including me, especially me, such a great outpouring of your love so that we might know deep down in our souls that we are your people who've been brought near. That this text about our salvation wouldn't just be words on paper, but we would know it down in our souls through the Holy Spirit that we are your beloved people. And Lord, help that to change the way we relate to each other and the way we live. God, communicate your love to us in a fresh way, especially as we come to the Lord's table. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come to communion now, we come to celebrate. Talk about the banquet. This is, this is the symbol of the banquet to come. This is the little foretaste. And as we come to the Lord's table, we're, we're thinking ahead to that time when we will meet with God on the last day. And he gave us this communion supper to remind us of what he did on the cross. This table is open to anybody here who has trusted in Christ as their Savior. Because by taking these elements, what you're saying is, I've received Christ as my Savior by faith. So this, this supper doesn't make you a Christian, but it's something that Christians invite you just to pass the, the, the elements by. This is not the Baptist table. This is not the Catholic table. This is not the Presbyterian table. This is the Lord's table. And so anyone who belongs to the Lord is welcome to share with us. So if the elders would join me here, as we remember on the night before Jesus went to the cross, he was eating that Passover Seder, that great Jewish festival on the unleavened bread, and he was eating the Passover Seder with his disciples. And during the meal, which is a very symbolic meal, he took a piece of matzah bread, the unleavened bread that they eat during the Passover, and he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Russ McLeod, would you give thanks for the broken body of Christ? Right. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, help us to comprehend the enormity of this sacrifice that you made for us, Lord. And Jesus, how you were willing to accept the pain of taking on my sin, all of our sins, Lord. Help us to be filled with the Holy Spirit today, to ponder on this, and Lord, to welcome you into our hearts. Help us to consider all of this. In the name of Jesus, amen.